counter's reset, the tape is in, and it's time to press play. Actually, hang on. I think Daz has already used that joke once before. Ah, that's right. Hey, it's Press Play on Tape. This is episode 21. And tonight, today, wherever you might be, I'm joined by Mr. Tony Cruz. Hey, Tony. Hey, how you going? Hey, mate. I'm good. Yourself? Oh, very good. Very good. Good to be back on the the, the airwaves. Oh, it's been a, a short a short break for Christmas. It's uh, unplanned, but that's all right. It's um, all back recharged for 2017. And also joining us for his second outing is Mr. JCVD, Damien. How are you, dude? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. And how are you, mate? I am travelling exceptionally well. It's Friday night, sitting here, nice talk, and about ready to talk computers for a little while. So. Yeah. So what's news with you, gentlemen? Um, well, I am um, uh, in the mail uh, this week. I got a very nice expansion module for my beloved MSX machines. That should turbocharge them. With my um, V9990 power graph from Technobytes. So, um, basically, soup up the graphics on an MSX machine. Okay, because I was about to say that sounds like a whole lot of acronyms and stuff <laughs> okay so what exactly does it do that the the yeah doesn't already um well it's a little bit like if people are familiar with the f18 upgrade for the coleco and a few other systems um it, it gets allows you to, to have more sprites in a horizontal row have multicolored sprites scroll in multiple directions there's a lot more video ram so you can have uh layers as well and parallax scrolling and things like that so you can do a lot with it, so they're, they're not they're not cheap though, unfortunately. So, well, as yeah, I think as we were discussing off air about the, like things like the vampire and that, actually, even in the F eighteen A is they're they're not cheap kits. But I suppose when you're playing with FPGA equipment and stuff, it's uh, it's just the tail of the tape, isn't it? And saying all that, um, it was not that much more expensive than the F eighteen that I got recently for one of my Calecos. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. So it was wasn't too bad. So and they started to make them. Haven't actually made them for years. So somebody actually wrote a game, uh, specifically supporting the cartridge, and that convinced the people who made the cartridge to make a new batch. Okay. So I actually was actually was about to ask you that. So just are there many games or things out there that actually take advantage of it, or is this more of your your programming well, side? Yeah, lots of demos, lots of demos, um, but not a lot of games. But there is now a a shooter type game that's been released. Um, I can't remember. I, I'd have to look up the, um, the the website that's got the game. So, oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, cool. Well, we'll have to keep an eye out for when you get some videos of you uh, getting it fired up, when you uh, inevitably get that out. So, have a look. Or next time I come around, you have to show us because not that I, not that I need any more hardware for systems here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it should allow me to have a, a souped-up MSX and go with that um, TCP interface card that I have as well. So I should be able to make a super MSX machine. Oh, that's right, that crazy Russian thing that you got with the mm -hmm. Ethernet, Ethernet that adapter. To, and... Yeah, that allows you to browse the web on an MSX machine. So ah, nice. Oh, I know a good B. Actually, know a good local BBS that maybe when my uh, my 1541 Ultimate 2 rocks up, and I get my, my 64 online. I might have to get get both on the, get both on there and um, have a have a bash. Yep, get them talking to it, to each other. Absolutely. It's uh yeah. 
So about yourself, Damon, any any new any new goodies or things that you picked up of note? Well, not much in the way of new goodies. Um, I have been doing um, work on my ongoing projects. Won't talk about it too much with the Chase HQ arcade machine, but I've just finished wiring up the um, uh, power supplies and transformers and, and so forth in it, so a bit nervous turning that on, but that's all fine. Um, but of greater relevance, um, the uh, haul that um, you and I got, Aaron, back in um, December, um, and where I've ended up with a SVI 318, a uh, Spectre Video 738, um, a Laser 310, and a GVP A500 Plus, uh, which is all fantastic. Apart from the fact that um, hardly any, any of it works. Yeah. So, hence the um, miraculously, the um, Spectra Video 738 works, which I'm very, very pleased about. Oh, you're 728. Um, seven, 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 no, no, 728, Damien. 728. Yeah, seven seven three eight to the the piece de resistance as far as Spectre Video and MSX. So ah yes yes seven two eight that's right. I get confused because you've got the seven one eights and the seven eight Mark twos and all that. Um, so <laughs> yes, I, I apologise. The seven two eight, which I'm still extremely pleased that that works. But yeah, they're, they're, I, as, they're as solid as nails as well. So yeah yeah good one. The seven one eight. Um, is terribly corroded on the inside. Um, lots, lots of rust um, on chip legs and, and so forth. So I've just um, I've pulled that apart and I'm having a bit of a look at that and um, uh, identified a few areas to, to concentrate on. Um, is, that, is that a Mark One or a Mark Two? In other words, is it white with a potentially red joystick or is it white with some grey parts around no, the keyboard? No, it's a, it's a Mark 1.5. It doesn't have a joystick. Oh, okay. <laughs> it, it's grey. It's it's got um, a grey. Oh, I yes, think so it's the grey one. Yeah, so it's a Mark II, so it has the smaller single um, circuit board. That's good. That's easier to fix. Yes, yes, I hope so. So that's just coming up with a with a black screen. The uh, Laser three ten, uh, plugging that in, and that um, gets. Um, well, no power, as in, you know, the power light doesn't turn on, so that requires me to pull it apart and see what's going on. And the A500 Plus hard drive um, has a short between uh, 5 volts and ground, or the 5 volt line and ground, and which I, um, due to my due diligence, discovered that before attempting to turn it on and um, pulling that apart and um, doing a few basic checks I fear that the issue might be in one of the, um, uh, like the custom chips in there, which basically means I've probably got nowhere to go with it. So, so this is a, this is a, an Amiga 500 sidecar, is it? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I actually do have a spare one of those with a dead hard drive. Ah, interesting. Well, I've got no idea whether the hard drive on this one works or not. Um, but yes, the actual board itself, um, pretty much toast. Mm. So very sad. However, 
the haul we got was still fantastic. Yeah, oh, so, very decent lot of stuff. So, yes, so um, yes, yes. And actually, on a on a repair note, actually, given that my Mega CD two is now fixed and sorted, I, I might have to come and uh, grab uh, a certain Mega Drive game off you so I can uh, get it dumped. But uh, there again, that's a topic for a completely different time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, the, the hall the hall was uh, well, it was actually cool because I was quite happy because I finally got myself a little uh, specky forty eight k out of it that. While I, I have a Russian, sorry, Ukrainian Eaton, which is the their 48 clone, 48k clone, and I've got my, my plus two that still doesn't work, but yeah, got a very tidy little black black rubber key beauty out of it that just needs a new membrane. Mm. But again, that's just a they're pretty they're a pretty straightforward replacement. But unlike I think the the one you got, Damo, this one actually has a really good cover, so it doesn't need a new shell and things. So mm. yeah. yes, good- so. For the benefit of the viewing audience, um, my Spectrum 48K rubber keyboard, I did get a, um, a replacement um, aluminium faceplate from somewhere oh. online, and it's awesome. Mm. Cool. Oh, they are gorgeous. But um, but yeah, beyond that, yeah. though, it's um, a, lot of, a lot of repair go, repair work going on of late, actually, because, I mean, as you, some of those mm. who might find me on Twitter have probably seen I've been a... A bit of a busy boy the last couple of weeks myself with um, Super Nintendo fun times and more more recently though and more relevantly was that uh, Amiga 500 that I picked up from a local uh, for not yeah, it was a, it was a good enough deal to pick up that I threw a yeah joke joke offer their way and they jumped at it so I ended up with an Amiga 500 that made startup noises but didn't actually work which was interesting because as most people who've ever used a 500 know that they don't make startup noises um (laughs) so imagine my surprise that yeah when i got it finally got it here got it up on the desk after getting back into the house and discovered that when i popped it open there was a uh, 75 meg ide hard drive hot glued inside of a cut up vhs case which was then attached to some weird uh mod that's that soldered to the top of the cpu um so that was an interesting experience at um which i think I've, i don't know if i've shown you guys the actual mod itself i saw it i saw pictures of it oh. the my favorite thing about it is you've mentioned the vhs case but it was basically like the cardboard slip of a vhs tape it was um cut around um the hard drive to insulate it yeah, I was actually no, no. In their defence, it was actually a plastic, the plastic slip. So I don't know if you remember um, VHS tapes back in the day when you used to get the blank ones. That you used to get the cardboard ones that come in cardboard. You'd get the ones yep, that come in covers. the open, the, yeah, the slip cover. You'd get the ones that come in the the bifold, like the the plastic ones that open. But you could also get the slip covers that were made out of like a, I suppose it's like a plastic that's almost like say the, the like a nintendo like the plastic used in like your consoles and stuff like that but just a lot thinner um that's actually what it was was that sort mm, of that sort yeah. of plastic so it was actually to be honest i while my initial reactions were just what i i just don't even um but when i actually stopped laughing um yeah well actually this is not for given that this was done in the late 80s very early 90s uh, by mm. reports of the story from the the owner that it's actually probably a, a product of its time and it was probably the best the best option they had then because 
the 500 probably didn't have a hard drive mount area so where they'd put it was again if you know what the inside of an amiga looks like it was pretty much dead center hot glued to the back the back rail so above where all the um the mouse and the expansion the serial port and stuff sits so yeah. they actually had it sitting there which again of all things the only part that i bristled at was how they've they've actually got it piggybacked to the processor but also they actually had a the five volt rail coming off just a couple of random spots on the motherboard and some pretty shoddy soldering but um yeah yeah with no protection circuit i suppose no no none whatsoever so uh but yeah that was that was an amusing thing which in the end the, the problem actually ended up just being that the the mod itself had a banks of resistors that one of them was shorting out on the keyboard case so the metal that sits underneath the keyboard um, and every time it would do it, it was just a non-fatal short that was uh, causing it to not, not power up. So yeah, it was a fun little exercise in learning how to work with Amigas because it's the first time I'd ever actually had one open. Um, yeah, but uh, I figured it actually serves as a pretty good segue into uh, what we're actually going to talk about this month, which was repairing, rep- yeah, repairing old computers, restoration and things that yeah, between the three of us probably do more than our fair share at times. So, yeah, I thought it'd be good to have a bit of a chat through about, you know, the things we've done, seen, and some tips and stuff of where to look and start. So, Damien, given that you're probably, yeah, I, I know you are definitely someone that's been, has done a lot of this over the past. I mean, yeah, when you pick up a new, a new system, like say the, the 318 or the 328s when we got them, you know, where, where do you start? Like, you know, you mentioned your due diligence. What, what's the first sort of things, you know, you check over when you get an unknown new system? Well, it depends. It depends. It, it, it depends on what it is. And um, um, look, I'm no, not always that careful when I plug stuff in. Uh, it just so happens that uh, in the example of the um, of the hard drive sidecar, that it didn't come with um, a power supply. So I had to, I thought, well, how am I going to rig a power supply up and that's when I sort of do that checking just to make sure uh, things are okay. Um, but generally what I'll do is um, if I've got all the original gear, um, power supply and you know, I'll make sure it's it's right. If it comes with a um, like a third party um, aftermarket power supply that's sort of not original, I'll always make sure that it's actually putting out the right voltage um, and also if it's got one of those tips that you can put on either way, I'll make sure that the polarity on that is right because you'd be surprised the number of people um, when they, you know, chuck stuff to go together to sell, uh, they don't necessarily always grab the right bits. Yes, um, you can end up with the wrong power supply and and as you mentioned, right. you know, the, the tip fell off when they were getting it out, so when they plugged it back yep. in, they plugged it back in the wrong way. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, so it's always good to, to, to check that. Okay, so Damo, when you, I suppose, that, I guess for the, as far as resource-wise goes, because like, you know, let's be fair here, some of these power supplies we do pick up at times, you've just got no idea of what, what because they're not clearly labelled as to what, what pins what. You know, where, where do you sort of take it to? Do you just rely on Google or do you have some other resources that you use to look it up? No, no, I'll just look at some... Um, at Google and um, you know type in whatever I need to depending on the device I might get a second opinion from somewhere if I'm, if I'm sort of want to be extra careful 
Um, there, there are some devices, uh, some old computers, um, that I have found that there's differing pinouts online for. Um, so it's always good just to just to be sure. Um, in cases where I have been in doubt about, um, you know, where the five volt actually goes, I actually pull it apart and do a trace from uh, the connector and um, sort of mark it against the, um, the the components that it goes to and make sure that where the five volt line actually runs is actually where I expect it to go. Um, so there's always checking that. With a, with a multimeter, obviously, for, for those who sort of... Yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I don't, I don't just, like, lick my finger and see what happens. <laughs> really? Oh, that, that's half the time works for me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, actually, I probably should. I probably should put my hand up here and just say too. By the way, just total disclaimer that probably talk about fun electronic stuff, especially to do with you know voltages no more than maybe five or twelve volts. But it is stuff that can definitely hurt you if you're not careful, or at least make things blow up that might hurt you. So we, we take no responsibility mm. for any anything you might try to do after having a listen. Um, anyway, back to you, Damien. Yes. Look. Um... What I'm going to talk about is not that, not actually that high tech because thinking back to most of my fixes that I actually have done, uh, most of them have been fixed by um, rather simple things. Um, so one thing that often fails is uh, external power supplies. So you get mm. something that doesn't work and it could be because the power supply is dead. So that's one thing uh, that, that's quickly quick to eliminate in a lot of cases. And this day and age, um, unless it's got a, a power supply that's sort of hard to find, um, the easiest thing I, I do is I don't even bother trying to fix the old ones. I'll just go out and buy a, a modern equivalent. Um, yeah, because yeah, most of the power supplies are sealed and hard to get mm. into. And if the caps are gone or the transformer's gone, that's most yeah. of the money in them. That, exactly, exactly. Um, the the exception to that is when you've got hard to find hard to find power supplies, um, like the uh, Dick Smith Wizard. It's got like an odd uh, mix of voltages on there. However, I think it is the same as um, or similar to what goes into the uh, Spectra videos as well. Um, what I did find with those is that there is a power supply for an old uh, third-party Commodore 64 disk drive um, that can actually be used as a replacement. So whenever I find those in the wild, I buy them because they're like hen's teeth. You'll never find them when you're looking for them. No, yeah, exactly. Very good. And you're lucky, actually. My uh, my 328 that Tony so kindly gave me spares to repair was actually powered by one of those that you happen to remember you had. So yeah, yes, that, that worked out. It worked out well, actually. So I'm going to give some really basic examples of things that, that I've done to fix things. Um, always check the basics first. Now, you, you're not going to fix 100% of problems with the basics, but don't dive in and start replacing capacitors and getting out oscilloscopes and logic probes until, you fixed all, uh, until you've checked the basics first, uh, because you'd be surprised um, just how many times it could be a simple fix. Having said that, though, any time somebody says, oh, it's a simple fix, it's just a fuse, never believe it. 
Hmm. Um, so one device, uh, I got a Amstrad 6128 from you, actually, Aaron, quite some time ago. Uh, this what? thing was absolutely filthy. It looked like it belonged in a like a chain smoker's house. It had grease all through it. Um, I'd, I'd hate to know the squalor of where it came from. Um, obviously, that was before you got hold of it, Aaron, and then gave it to me. Thank um, you. Thank you. My, 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 my <laughs> honour is intact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, pulling that apart, basically no power at all. Um, now, with these Amstrad 6128, uh, they've got some uh, switches that you can actually um, pull apart. And it's just got like a little slide switch with some little contacts in it. And all it was, was actually, I just needed to pull it apart and just put some sort of um, lubricant or some, I can't remember what I used, whether it was isopropyl or dielectric grease on the contacts within the switch, bam, works. Yeah, di so, dielectric grease is a, is, a, is a really good one to point out because some switches in the older systems actually switch more than one voltage line inside the switch. Mm. So it's a typical failure in the ColecoVision, that large yes. switch that slides on them. The first yes. thing to turn on will be the 12-volt line, which powers the console. Um, and the second part of it is the 5... Um, oh, sorry, I've got it around the wrong way. 5 volts is the first thing and 12 volts is the second one. Um, and you'll push the switch and it won't go all the way over and so you won't get a clean 12 volts out and so you'll get graphics corruption. Mm. Yes, and, that, that's, a, that's a very good point. And to fix switches, you need dielectric grease, which if people don't know, is a, it's, a, it's an inert grease, and the best, way to, best place to get it is at car stores, and they sell a, a, a tube of it for putting in to headlights of cars. Yes, that is a good tip to know, because when I found out that I needed to get some dielectric grease, I was having a look online and surprisingly found it very hard to find um, at what I considered to be a reasonable price, as in, you know, a couple of bucks. Uh, but yes, going to um, car stores, uh, auto stores, uh, because you use it when you put on like trailer lights and, you know, trailer connections and stuff like that. So um, that's the best place to get it. Um, now... Another thing that often you often need to do is just simply cleaning the, uh, the, the pins within cartridge slots or cleaning the pins on a cartridge. Um, now, a lot of people know about cleaning the actual um, pins within, within a cartridge. You know, there's the, the old adage of blowing in a cartridge, which I don't recommend. Um, so the best thing for cleaning a cartridge is pulling it apart, getting a white rubber eraser and giving that um, a rub on the pins um, and then following that up with a bit of isopropyl on a, um, on a cotton tip and just rubbing the, um, uh, the pins that way. So uh, I've had, I'll probably say 99% uh, success with that. Um, now, for anyone who's ever done that on a Neo Geo uh, MVS cartridge, you'll soon get um, sick of that. Uh, but when you use it on smaller cartridges like 
uh, Commodore 64 cartridges or Atari 600, it's, it's not too bad. Now, the actual cartridge slots themselves, um, quite often they'll need a bit of a clean. Um, a, a few things that I've done, um, I've actually like had like a bit of stiff card and uh, poked, uh, sorry, uh, put a bit of isopropyl on the card and then actually put that into the um, cartridge slot in and out a few times. Um, and that quite often has brought back to life something that refused to, um, to read the cartridges. Uh, another, another trick that I've done um, as well is you can get these, um, uh, I think they're called ISO wipes, um, used for cleaning glasses. And I'll get one of those cloths out of the packet and I'll like wrap it around a credit card and do the same thing. Um, and that actually uh, worked quite well when I had a uh, ColecoVision that was um, giving me some weird graphics um, problems, uh, similar to the sorts of things you'd get if the power switch was uh, not working. But um, um, after a few few goes of that in the slot, uh, that actually worked fine. Uh, another thing I like to uh, check as well when we're talking about cartridge ports is that um, sometimes over time where the cartridge ports are where the pins are from the slot to the board can sometimes become stressed over time uh, so sometimes if something's a bit flaky or won't start up sometimes actually reflowing the solder on on the pins is a good idea to try i was going to say and, and a general point on this you know any connector that sits at a right angle to a board and is going to have something like a joystick or uh, a video uh, socket pushed in and out of it a few times over its life, um, that's a spot that can, where the solder can start to uh, crack away from the, um, uh, from the joints and a simple reflow will fix it. Yep. So um, I, I can give two, I mean, two, two actual examples. I mean, the, my Atari uh, ST520 ST I got a while back that it had no, actually had no joysticks, no mouse wouldn't work. And, and those who've had them know that, yeah, because of how the joystick ports and the DB9 connectors are mounted on those, that they are under a lot of stress over the years. And it's quite common that, yeah, the solder on that will either go dry or crack and lose connections. So it's definitely mm. a good one. Um, and the other one, actually, which is more tied into the cartridge slot piece, was my uh, is the Sega SC3000 is a good example as well. That, though, again, those who've ever used one know that they don't have built-in... Uh, built-in basics so they don't when they power on they just make a, a hum if there's no cartridge or as I discovered with my one was even with a cartridge it would still make it and that I went through the the stuff that Damien suggested so clean the cartridges I had the credit card with isopropyl on a rag and stuff and couldn't couldn't get it cartridge port was clean but and in the end it took Tony actually had a look through help have a look and we actually found that yeah there was some dry joints on the solder specifically a couple of the five volt rails that because it was because i could i had connectivity with the pin but the actual track itself that it connected to it wasn't it wasn't touching so you know and that was a that was a nice easy reflow and it did it did fix it and fixed it well so yeah and, and that's another important thing with that one that one was probably because it was a voltage line it was probably touching but not with enough contact to allow the voltage to flow through without 
uh, resistance building up. So in other words, the voltage would have dropped and thus been below the level that would have triggered the machine to start. That's it. So, uh, yeah, and that, that was a good one. So I think just, yeah, reinforcing Damien's tips, you know, in, in action, it's, they're definitely things that do the job and do the job well. So what's, ne- what's, ne- what's next, Damien? Commodore 64s. Um, there's a whole bunch of failure points for Commodore 64s. Um, now, I had a couple of Commodore 64s that had black screens. Uh, basically turn them on and it just ends up black. Now, there's a whole raft of potential problems, but one trick that, if you're lucky, to actually pinpoint the problem is that there are some cartridges that, uh, some games cartridges, that bypass uh, the kernel uh, when they start up. So it actually, like, provides some sort of diagnostic information. So uh, a good example is Jupiter Lander. Uh, so basically, plugging in Jupiter Lander, um, and then the actual Commodore 64 started up. And that's really handy because what that shows is that the kernel is no good because it bypasses that, but then it still starts. So that means that everything else uh, is working as expected. Um, so from there, um, the actual solution is to replace the kernel. Um, there's a whole bunch of ways you can do that. You can either, um, if you've got your own Epiron programmer, you can get a, um, a chip, program it. You'll probably need to make yourself an adapter to put in there, or you can buy something um, complete from, from eBay. Um, people sell uh, kernels on there, or there's um, a store, a good store, I think it's called Go For Retro. Uh, they sell uh, a bunch of Commodore 64 stuff. Um, including the uh, like Jiffy, Do- Jiffy DOS kernels and anything else you really need. Um, so they're really another problem that often happens with Commodore 64s is the the PLA chip goes. Fortunately, I haven't had any of those go, um, but there are some options um, to replace those if you find that that's the issue. Um, you can buy, I think, super PLA chips. People are making. What? Um, so, sorry for those that maybe aren't quite up on the C64, and I'll be honest, I'm yep. the technical side of things escapes even me at times. So, what are the? What's the PLA do, or what's it responsible for? Hang on, the 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 internet's will tell. Okay, PLA, Programmable Logic Array, is a hardware programmable chip in the 60s. For you know something? I'm sorry, I asked. <laughs> It's a thing. Yeah, that, it's a I thing. It's a thing that. Yeah, can... <laughs> yeah, it's a thing that thing that controls things on the board. So I'm sure someone will, uh, will 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 tag us and tell us once this goes live anyway. But um, now that's cool. That's cool. All right. So uh, moving on. Just I'll stop being a bastard now. <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> <laughs> so all right. So with the 64, like what what other, I mean, I suppose specifically, I know that there are some other fun things that can go south with them. I mean, again, power supply and uh, the legend mm. of the C64 design, where they go and take the system with them. Um, but what else? Yeah, you know, what else have you come across with them? Or, well, I'm I'm going to take things on a slight tangent, if that's all right, and I'm going to talk about the physical aspects of the Commodore 64. Ooh. So, yes, yes. So Commodore 64 computers, as in 
the not the bread bin models, but the kind of the creamy beige models. The C's, um, the C's, yep. yes, yes. They clean up pretty well, even if they're fairly tired and look like they've been buried underground. Yeah, that's, so, that's actually it's actually one of the the only machines I have done my own retro bright sort of treatment on, and mm. it worked really well. I even took all the individual yeah. keys up and soaked them in a bucket of nappy sand for two weeks. Yes, yes. So that's exactly the sort of stuff I'm going to talk about now. Mm. So um, I have probably taken a slightly different approach uh, with my uh, RetroBite solution, which wasn't really RetroBite. All I used was um, uh, Cream Developer, which is basically like 40 vol, 12% cream peroxide. Um, so what I did was, um, after thoroughly washing the case, um, which was absolutely filthy, um, and it had, you know, some yellowing and, and, and wear like that, uh, basically brushed on uh, the cream developer, then wrapped it up in Glad Wrap, yep. uh, and then stuck it outside in the sun for a day, um, and then that reduced the yellowing down quite a lot. And then I uh, washed it and then gave it another day out in the sun with the cream developer. And then that brought it to basically um, a very, uh, very good finish. Um, almost looked brand new. Uh, same sort of thing with the keys. I was a bit worried about the keys because the keys were a bit yellowed and I took them all off, washed them, and then I painted them all with that cream developer stuff. Uh, covered it with Glad Wrap put it outside and same thing with two applications out in the sun. Uh, the keys um, became white again and the actual um, black, like, you know, the um, the letters and symbols on the keys themselves weren't affected. Mm. And um, what I have found is that some of the yellowing does come back. However, it is only a very slight tinge and is nowhere near the level that it was uh, when I first actually before I applied the uh, developer stuff. Yeah, I, I found the same thing and mine, I, I believe mine probably wasn't as far yellowed as the one you're talking about and I said I quite simply used a strong solution of water and nappy sand um, mm. and washed the case using the nappy sand um, and left it on reasonably wet and put it out in the sun on my deck and the keys quite I uh, took them all off put them in the bucket of nappy sand and sat that outside mm. and it worked really well yes yes the, the results are very good um, it's, it is very pleasing the first time you do it and you think you know what I didn't ruin it and it looks yep. great. Mm, and mm. I mean, the, obviously, the concern with um, RetroBright as well is that while it's a fantastic product and uh, it definitely has has some good results, it has the unfortunate side effect of weakening the plastic or can weaken the plastic. And yes, it eats, eats away too much. Yes. yes. Whereas, whereas the one I was using, obviously, is um, Napisan is is a bleach, um, and it's designed to lift dirt off things, mm -hmm. um, and once again, it wasn't a super yellowed computer, though. So, 
you know, you've got to use different things for different different levels of yellowness, I think. That's so. it. There's no one-size-fits-all solution, unfortunately. Uh, no, no. And I think just, just for people who may not be across this, uh, retro bright is, is not actually exactly what we're talking about. So retro bright is a similar thing that uses similar compounds, but it's actually a combination of several several different chemicals. Yes. Um, so it is potentially stronger, uh, a little bit more dangerous, to be honest, to deal with. Um, but the, what Tony and I have described is a much simpler, you only need to sort of buy one thing um, to do it. And we have you know, we got, got good results. Um, talking about the plastic weakening though, I can give you an, an actual example. Um, so I had a extremely yellowed uh, Super Famicom base and it was terribly, terribly discolored. And I applied um, the cream developer stuff. Um, probably I was onto my third application. It was coming down every time. And I thought, you know what, I do this um, a couple more times and it's actually going to look pretty good. So I, I just wanted to see how far I could take it. And this day there was just a little bit of wind and it just knocked it off my deck. Now, yeah, and, it yeah, and yeah. smash. You would normally expect nothing much would happen. Um, but yeah, the whole thing just, you know, a big chunk of it just smashed off. Oh, look, um, actually, I mean, look, you guys haven't mentioned the other. I mean, the other path you can take as well with, like, if we're talking still on the physical side of things, that um, I know Daz Daz did with his um, Amiga twelve hundred that it, it was a limited edition gold um, and pretty badly so. Um, he he actually went the he actually got went the other path and he actually had the um, entire thing painted black. So he yeah, bit of a non purist approach, but decided that you know something I'm, I'm not going to screw around with retro bright yeah actually got it painted up black got the keys has had, had the keys done again because obviously that's the, you, know, you got to make the decision of either finding keys that suit or painting them and doing it in a way that you can still see what the key tops are but yeah he's come up really really nicely it's in uh, worst cases there have been a couple of projects for both the 64 and the amiga for completely new key sets in different colors yeah there has been actually so you know, it's not always lost, and it's a it's a good uh, is a good alternative if you're not comfortable playing with chemicals like me. Um, I, I I'm happy mm. I'm happy with yellow because I don't display my stuff. It as long as it works, I'm happy. But yeah, so I mean, physical. I mean, the physicality is. I suppose thinking like the broken the broken side of things. I mean, broken keys are always a bane of any existence i mean they're a they're one i know i find it can be either really easy to just find replacements on mm. ebay and places um or i know in my experience of trying to get keys for my ti99 which i think six weeks on and they still haven't arrived from america but oh, um, okay. but that's and a, there that's, are yeah that's not and that mind you that's not and that eric if you're listening it's not your fault it's uh the u.s postal service apparently not only loses ten thousand dollars worth of snes games they also lose little packages of keys so <laughs> that hurts that 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 snes package oh, oh. That, i that's... i imagine myself in that scenario reading that and it wasn't pretty things things were shrinking in a way that's not comfortable it's just that whole oh, <laughs> no um but but coming back to the keyboard thing one actually one thing i know with um the vic 20 is a good example of this with 
replacing keys that you know again in uh in jack's infinite wisdom that the vic 20 there are so many variations of the physical casing and the actual physical keyboard itself that it's almost impossible at times to find to get an exact match so you know i've got one that's got the old commodore pet style keyboard and the the actual tabs on the back of the the top half of the case are completely different to the other two vics that i have um, and conversely, yeah. the keyboard, the plungers, and the stuff like that, the three, the three, the, the one spare that I've got, and the two actual Vicks that I have, they all use different. They're all different key types. Like it's it's insane. And, um, and I have two different Vic twenties, and they have two completely different power supplies as well. Yep, they do that. Ah uh, yes. So so one one is pretty much the C sixty four power supply, and the other one is some obviously the original one and that's that's my one of I, that that particular vic 20 doesn't work yeah the nine volt two prong mm-hmm. power supply it's a funny shape too i think is it, two, does it, does it looks like a two prong one i've probably actually got one i've got a spare one here you might be able to have yeah the machine turns on but you just get a single color on the screen so i'd say oh, there's other issues yeah other wow. issues but i i have another vic 20 with the newer power supply and that one last time i used it uh works <laughs> uh bless the vic but, uh... ah cool so so okay so physical i mean that's the phys- some stuff with the physical things i mean is there any one more thing yeah one more thing for the physical now when i discovered this it changed my life Magic Eraser. Now, I know it's been around for yonks, <laughs> but on a Commodore 64 or Amiga case, when you've got those little scratches that have got like a little thing, like a bit of a dark streak to it, and you wash it with soap and, and it just doesn't look any good, then you get out the Magic Eraser and give it a one soap with that. It's magnificent. Um so that's my number one tip. If you've been living in a cave and you've never heard of Magic Erasers, which is basically like a microfiber sponge, um, you can get something that looks absolutely horrendous. And nine times out of ten, Magic Eraser is just will just make it look so much better after going over. Um, and the actual um, Spectra videos that I recently got looked pretty pretty terrible the cases were pretty terrible when i got them but after the once over with that it was just an un- unbelievable before and after image yeah oh look really good. they are look i've used them on a whole range of my systems uh i've got a, one of the vic 20s i got that someone had taken to the back with a permanent marker to write you mm. know video and tape and the funny part was that I actually got it wrong but um <laughs> Again, you know, permanent mark is one of those things that can be a, a pain to get off. And now, I definitely agree that you know, it this thing just lifted it almost off like it was nothing. Um, you know, and I've had other other systems with again the big nasty looking scrapes where someone's rubbed, you know, it's rubbed against other sort of plastic or things that. Or my the bane of my existence is when you buy them from places like well, maybe not cash converters for computers, but you know, op shops, tip shops goodwill or whatever it might be that you get them from that they put those horrible big price stickers over the, the system and it leaves the residue that i know i've actually found that magic eraser is actually really good at getting that off so it's, um 
that can definitely uh, second its virtues for the cleaning of stuff. And uh, and also you can you know you can get a system that's got some quite bad cracks in it sometimes, um, but if you use the appropriate uh, plastic uh, adhesive that matches the plastic, um, you can make them pretty much invisible. I've had two things. My uh, Dick Smith Wizard had a huge crack across the top of the case. Yep. And. Let me think. That's okay. embarrassing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, my, was it Siri? Uh, yes, yeah, Siri. <laughs> I didn't even know I had voice detection turned on. Um, hang, on hang on, I want to check something here. Hey, Siri. Oh, oh well. <laughs> so much for that. Uh, yeah, carry on, Tony. Yeah, and my other one was my roller co controller for Coleco. Something I've been after for a very long time. One came up and it said it was broken. And I said, well, you know, I hang it over the price, got it for a reasonable trip, got it over, and it was broken because there was a big crack in the bottom. There was nothing wrong with it electronically at all. So I just um, fused that back together again, and now it looks like a new one. Oh, very good. That, oh, very nice. that, is, that is a very good um, trick. Uh, I haven't done the same thing, but um, the Atari 7800 I recently got um, from Gaz, uh, Aaron, for some reason, you would just hardly touch the case and it would break. I don't know whether it's been dropped at some stage. But anyway, I ended up with a huge crack through it. Now, the good news was that when I actually, when when the case was just sitting there, you actually couldn't see the crack. But obviously, there was a big risk that the crack was going to spread further. So I've taken a, a probably a bit more brutal approach. You know, actually, uh, on the inside of the case... I actually um, cut out like a piece of metal um, to act oh. as like a uh, to hold it together, and then I actually araldited the um, the metal brace um, to the underside of the case, um, and now you actually can't see uh, the crack at all uh, from the top, <laughs> and you actually um, it's not going to spread any further now as well. That's yeah. um... probably what, probably what you could have done though is put some. Uh, appropriate model glue in that crack before you closed it up as well. It pro probably would have been uh, a, a good idea. Because uh, one, one thing you do have to be careful with aerodite, obviously for um, um, gluing metal, you've got to make sure you don't use that on a visible plastic surface or because that can yellow. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, so, Damo, come in, Bobby. Taking, yes. going back inside for a moment I know you've 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 chided me on this one in a few times in the past where I've you know <laughs> broken your cardinal rule of start simple but you know I'm being the amateur that I am that you know I, I have a tendency just to go for things like oh it might be power or it might be this or it could be capacitors and check all these things and start trying to think about replacing them um, capacitor kits like they're, they're a bit of a lure. I know I know that the is half the internet swears by them that you see the you know people on their Amigas that oh, I'm sending my 500 off to be recapped and or I'm sending this system off for the specy yep needs to be totally recapped is always the first first thing everyone ever goes to. In your experience, like what's where do you stand on them? Well, I put my flame suit on um, <laughs> for this. Um, now, 
I suppose the main thing that I just want to share is caps as an issue. It's only one of many possible faults. Um, and it seems to me that, um, oh, you know, you've got a problem with something. Oh, it could be the caps is the new, oh, it's probably just a fuse sort of uh, response a lot of people are giving when when, when stuff isn't working. Um, so the the issue is it, it really is it's a it's a shot it's a shotgun approach if you have done sort of no um, investigation into what the cause of a problem is. Um, so really you just um, you know like it's a shotgun because you're pointing um, without aiming, just hoping you'll hit the right spot if you actually get a cap kit and just start replacing. Um, capacitors. Um, now, in, in some cases, um, caps can get damaged due to other parts of uh, of a circuit operating um, in 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 the system, and changing capacitors may actually mask the fault, make it even harder to find. Um, so, I'm not saying that that caps, you know, that changing caps or cap kits are necessarily bad. Just make sure you're doing it for the right reason um, so definitely change caps when uh, they're obviously damaged or they're bulging or they're leaking um, or you know for sure that the fault is caused by uh, a capacitor um, the thing with um, caps is that uh, you can't sort of test them with a, a normal multimeter so what you need to do is get is check the um, ESR, um, which is I think equivalent series resistance. Uh, so you need to get an ESR meter. Um, now over time, the ESR in electrolytic caps uh, will increase. So uh, ESR meters. The good thing about them is you can actually test capacitors um, in circuit um, and actually see whether they're in sort of accepted uh, levels that you'd expect for a um, for a cap of that value. Um, how long do caps last? Well, a lot of people are talking about Amigas now. I don't have any experience with any of my Amigas um, dying due to capacitors or nearly dying due to capacitors, uh, but it appears on a lot of forums that uh, people are talking about them as being uh, ticking time bombs and that you need to replace capacitors um, before they um, leak all over your Amiga and damage them. I honestly don't know whether that is a real risk. Um, I would say that the biggest thing with changing capacitors is that you actually run the risk of doing more damage when you're replacing perfectly good uh, capacitors. Having said that though, there are some known capacitors. Uh, I'll use the example of game gears uh, that mm. have like those barrel capacitors in them, uh, which over time are known to leak and are the cause of, you know, 99% of problems with game gears. Um, in that circumstance, yep, go for it. Um, change the capacitors, um, 
you'll probably find that when you open it up, you will start to see leakage. Um, so that that's all fine. But if you've got something that just doesn't work, um, I wouldn't start ripping out capacitors. And conversely, if you've got something that does work, I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't say change your capacitors just in case they start to fail over time. So I think that if you're if really concerned, open it up, measure the um, ESR of the electrolytic caps, and um, if they're all within expected tolerances, um, then if it ain't broke, don't fix it. No, that's fair. Mm. As I... and, and, and there are worse things in a machine, especially for some of the modern ones that have any sort of uh, memory state or real-time clock, and that's, mm. a and that's a battery. They are the destroyer of machines. Oh. Um, yes. Darth, Darth Vata and the destructor Vata. of Omega. Destroyer of, the, of empires. Destroyer of the Making... Omega memory expansions. That's the yeah. ones, and, and Archimedes machines, they had a real-time yes. clock in them. Um, yeah. And um, and IBM, old IBM PCs. Oh, I could tell you some of the, the barrel, the old barrel batteries on those things that, um, you know, my, my, I think my personal favourite example that I probably have told both you guys about in the past, but was the computer store I used to work at in Brisbane many years ago that CCS used to build their own systems, and back then everyone used to use barrel batteries um we had someone come in one day and they were like oh the um yeah, this thing just it was a bit of a bang it stopped working and so we've opened it up and had a look and yeah the barrel battery that when this board had been assembled they'd put the barrel battery right next to the at power connector mm-hmm. probably great in theory but what what happens when you mix um voltages and acid and all the sort of delightful stuff that comes out of those things yeah smoldering hole where a power connector used to be uh so Mm. yeah that was that was an interesting one um but yeah they are i think i I cannot i could not encourage enough if you've got a board that has one of the barrel batteries in there they are probably one of the things that you want to get out unless it's physically impossible at which point you know you want to make sure you're going to measure use a multimeter to measure the voltages to make sure that at least there's enough charge left in it but um, you know, like with again the the expand, memory expansions on the Amiga 500s, or if you've got a 500 plus that's got it on the board, old PCs and stuff like that, get it get it out, get it resold or one of the nice yep. um, coin battery holders you get from JCar and places in their place, and you know yes, or in some cases like you know with the Amiga, if you don't need the real time clock, you don't necessarily need to put it back. Um, no, I agree. But Better to take it out and leave it out, unless you really, really yeah need it. But um, I mean, if you're unlucky though, I know, I definitely know that you know we, we've all dealt with it. Like when you have had corrosion, you know, where it has just spewed its delightful cargo everywhere. Uh, you know, I know myself personally, I've never had much luck in getting like if there's extensive damage. Uh, you know, I know quite often the tip is that, you know, for example, if to use the Amiga memory expansion, getting it out, getting trying to get it as much off with a toothbrush or something, but actually using vinegar to neutralise as much of the acid and stuff as you can, to then yeah, there there is actually a product as oh, well. Okay. It's called it's called PCB cleaner. 
Ooh. which you can you can buy it at Jcar. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a spray-on as well, um, and that will neutralise any acids and will also um, get rid of grease as well. Oh, okay. That's a good but one that's a, that's a, that's a neutraliser. So it is just called PCB yep. cleaner. Well, that's it, isn't it? I mean, it's basic chemistry is neutralise the acid first, clean it off. Um, and then quite often it's uh, trying to just yeah repair whatever damage that sometimes you're lucky and it's just surface and you can stop it and that's it um, but certainly I you know there's been yeah you know, there are definitely times where yeah you might have to go as far as patching patching tracks up or doing other fun things but yeah that's mm. that's getting to the yeah. uh, the nasty end of the world yeah no, I, 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 one of my biggest death stories is I had an, an Archimedes 5000 and uh, the battery, I mean, it's not exactly a common one either, um, mm. but the battery had caused a lot of damage. Um, I gave it to an electronics friend of mine, and he's been playing with it. He can get it to sort of start up. Um, but there's a particular uh, logic chip that we think's gone. Oh. So, but, but he was nice. He came back and gave me an Archimedes 7000 instead. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Only. Oh. Um. Yeah, so the Arch- the Archimedes three thousand that I've got, um, basically the uh, the battery, it's amazing like how far it's actually spread. So the actual corrosion like latches onto the tracks, and it actually mm-hmm. spreads so far. Um, we're talking like it's actually spread probably a distance of ten to fifteen centimeters, I reckon, inside oh. the case. Uh, and what it does, it tra- travels and it goes into um, up into the sockets of chips and yes. goes in there and onto the legs. And it's actually worked its way all the way up to the um, to the uh, film um, connector on the keyboard that the keyboard plugs into uh, the socket on the um, computer, the little sort of plastic connector, and has actually eaten um, a couple of the um, metal. Uh, bits on the film that actually connect into the um, into the connector. So it is just oh. the the first thing you do when you get something that's got a computer uh, a battery, like Aaron was saying. Uh, especially uh, Omega Five Hundred Plus is another thing that to look out for as well. And to take the batteries out of that as soon as you get it. Um, that's the fir- the day you get it, pull it apart and just hope to God that it either hasn't leaked or the battery's already been taken out. Mm. Yes, not here, here. So, um, uh, mind you, Damien, I, I won't judge you if you decide to put a um, Raspberry Pi inside that Archimedes and just declare it too hard. <laughs> you can pretend. No, I won't be, won't be putting a Raspberry Pi in there. Um, I'll hold on to it and think maybe I'll find an Archimedes um, that I can just part out. Yep. Um, and you know, or something that's got like a really rubbish case, or a smashed case, and then I can put my okay case on top of it. Yeah, cool. All right, John. So look, there's some pretty pretty thorough tips, and it's something that you know we could, you could probably sit here and have a have an all, a much longer conversation or a PAX panel on. But you know, that that's the sort of thing that mm. you know, it depends, I suppose, on how how comfortable you are, or how deep, or how not deep you want to get with these sort of things so uh, yeah but, yeah but i mean look ultimately I, i've always found though that um you know places like i mean twitter going to even some of the uh places as much as going to reddit can be painful 
some of the um, specific sub subreddits that cover off you know, an actual system, um, or even places like uh, what's the Sega, not Sega Retro. What's the um, or a couple of the big sort of like websites that are specific to yeah a system, be it Atari Age or Atari Age, Nintendo Age. That's it. All the places like that. Quite often, yeah, the the people there are incredibly friendly and are always happy to. Lend a, lend a hand because there are some insanely knowledgeable people about the hardware out there still. So, yeah, yeah there's definitely something yeah. where if you're ever lost, there's you know, help is always not too far away. It's just a matter of you know, knowing where to where to find it or where to ask. Um, but, uh, yeah, gentlemen, so yeah. anything else you want to add in closing, Damon, before we move on? Oh uh, well, well, I just wanted to say <laughs> what we've covered tonight is really just really basic information and it's always things to try there is so much more that can go wrong um uh, with this stuff um and as you'll find if you you know you've got a problem and you google the you know you do a google search for the symptoms you'll find the the almost the problem is is that there is so much information about so many things that it could be um so I've actually gone like a lot further into getting out logic probes and all that sort of stuff, but I thought I won't cover it tonight because it'll just make it too confusing because um, there are many things, you know, that can lead to uh, looking for specific areas and it'll be different to, you know, the different symptoms for so many different issues. Yep. But there is so much information out there, but just start with the basics. Um, also, something I don't think we've covered too much is that you know, we've we've talked about the the cartridge connections and and the voltages. You know, checking the, the basics first, at like you know the right voltage is is coming off the voltage regulator and the right voltage is getting to the chips on the board. So you you know start with all that and then you sort of delve deeper. Um, yeah, I was going to mention the voltage regulators as well. They they do fail, especially if the power supply they've been given has been a bit dirty. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a good good point. Actually, the I've had a, I've had a few. Admittedly, my experience with voltage regulators has been more console based, but yeah, I know they they are actually a good one because if one of them goes and the rest of the board doesn't get doesn't get the right voltage, uh, but anyway, like I said, that, that's probably probably some stuff that yeah. Th there are so many topics we could probably spend an hour just talking about power supplies, or an hour talking about you know how to repair keyboards and stuff. That it's just yeah, but cool. Oh, cool, Damien. It's it's a good, been a good little bit little chat around. Anyway, it's um, oh, quite often. I mean, there's, I know you're uh, a never-ending resource for me when it comes time to dabble or break things. But um, you know, yeah. So, <laughs> um, oh well. So, do I thought we might move on to our, our publisher of choice just to to round out the episode for the last little bit. So, this month, who do we who do we have to choose, or who do we choose? We have Infocom. Oh, the mighty text adventure legends themselves. Of which a lot of people, the first things that come to mind are the Zork series of games. Um, uh, and stop there and then don't realise that it extends to uh, quite a few other games that some people um, you know, may have heard of. Them as like The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is another really good one that springs to mind. Probably one of the things. So, but um, I know Infracom themselves sort of spring from the the MIT days, from sort of the late the late seventies, early eighties, when a, there was a group of guys that actually got together and 
started writing programs for the main uh, the mainframe computers. So they were were basically on there. So Zork was their first game they wrote, which was you know pretty much one of the very first text adventures that drew inspiration from sort of D and D games and stuff like that at the time. Uh, but yeah, it was it was interesting that that was I know for myself was the first experience I ever actually had with with any of their games was on a mainframe at my dad's my, when my dad worked and it was work was in the army and I went into work with him one day and they sort of sat me down at a, an Osborne terminal and just said look here's the games go crazy and yeah discovered this thing where I could walk around and type in basic commands to you know explore this wood and try and and basically most of the time just got eaten by grues. <laughs> yes, yes, they're they're um they're common um, uh, death choice in the game. Oh, yeah. and, and and that ba- Berserk basically evolved from the, the the one of the original ga- adventure games was called um, was called Advent or Adventure eighty, mm-hmm. um, and they wanted to make a better version of that with more story. Yep. and that's how that's how the first Berserk came about. Okay, there you are. So. They um yeah so they, they they definitely went on I mean obviously for the, the telling the fact that you know there are a lot of people with very fond memories a lot of them is that, and most of the time they were just text only it wasn't until sort of like the, some of the later Zorks and a few of the others that they added some rudimentary graphics to sort of you know illustrate the scene but no for the most part it was you had to you had to imagine it in your head you know much like reading a book it was interact well, it was interactive fiction. And it's a very good, um, well, uh, a game that um, game style that I was writing to myself, and I ended up writing a couple of adventure games myself as well. So, so some of my library for the Spectre Video and MSX includes uh, uh, the, uh, wrote three text adventure games. So. Okay, nice. Nice. Are they are they available? You still got them available somewhere in a digital format or? Uh, yes, the um, the shorter ones are available. There's a, my largest standalone one, Stranded. I've actually resurrected for both the original Spectre Video and MSX, and I have tapes available on my um, Electric Adventures Facebook page. Oh, there you go. Subtle plug. Um, Subtle plug. Not, not plugging anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but coming back to, I mean, coming back to Infracom though. That you know, I think one of the other big things that a lot of people remember very fondly about them was that you know, in order to sort of encourage people not to copy and that, that they would often include um, what was mostly known as feelies which were the basically included like cool things so like you know with uh, Leather Goddess of Phobos you know you got a 3D comic which you had the glasses you put on and it you know, had the stereoscope 3D effect in it um, It all, they also gave you scratch and sniff card which actually had you know it said that at certain points of the adventure you were told to scratch this number and smell it to you know enhance the effect and it's all things like maps and these guys i think were often the first to really push you know to push or create this whole the whole genre and sort of start what is probably the whole you know where all the current collector's edition stuff comes from these days Uh, yes which i think there should be um the, this is where the um, suppliers of modern games have missed the point <laughs> a little bit. We're going too far down the digital path um, in the fact that people wanted a physical box because of all the stuff they got with it. Mm. Oh, but 
Come on, I mean, I can have my fully, my fully sick Call of Duty fridge for five hundred dollars, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yeah. Sorry. I'm so not, just not going just, there. <laughs> just on that, um, what they seem to do now is statues seem to be the big thing to to include with special editions and and so forth. And you know, I kind of yearn for the days of you know what I just want like a map. Like a, yes. a big map, oh, some sort nice. of like um, I don't know a fake a fake magazine or a little comic or um, one know, of them came like with a, I'm sure one of them came with a spyglass. Um, mm. And uh, I know I have I'm lucky to have original um, Ultima copies of Ultima for the Apple II, yep. um, and the cloth maps are fantastic. They are oh, quality cool. plus. The cloth and maps it's, were amazing, and it's the reason why I collect adventure games for like the MSX. It's all the other bits that come in the cases. I might never be able to play some of them because they're in Japanese unless there's an English translation. Yep. But the stuff and the artwork and stuff that comes with them is mm. great. And Infocom started all of that as as um, Aaron said, and um, they wrote a lot of stories and there were a lot of genres as well. They weren't just Dungeons and Dragons. They were there were horror games. Oh. There were murder mystery games. There were, and I mean, if you talk to, you know, I've, I've had chats to, um, and actually getting ahead of ourselves, but you know, some of the guys that brought up that, yeah, are the lurking horror being, you know, one of their favourites because it's, you know, that murder mystery monster thing where you, yeah, it, again, there was nothing like it that it relied on you to think about what was going on. Um, but you know, like for myself and you know, for me personally, like. I mean, Zork was my first exposure to the games, but I was terrible at them. I, to this day, cannot finish Zork, and I had sort of never bought myself to using a walkthrough to do it. But um, Planetfall, for me, was was definitely was one of the few that I have finished. Um, yeah, that, that, that is one of the very best ones. That I one. love it. And, like, it was, you know, having a companion in Floyd, you know, being able to interact with him and the, the basic stuff that went on, like, that was... Yeah, that was awesome. And like I still I fired that up a few times and yeah, it still remember the first you know, playing through some of the early stuff and it, you know, it forced you to sleep and eat and there was things like that that you know, it was unheard of at that time. Um, and obviously Hitchhikers goes without saying, I mean it was legendary. The the man himself was involved with it, that you know, Douglas Adams had a hand in creating helping create. You know, so and, and it was a good companion to the book that it wasn't quite the, the same story there was stuff there that was a little different there were the humor was in it but you know they they were you know they were brilliant and for those um, um viewers out there uh, if you are interested in these and you don't have you know you don't have access to i mean i'm lucky enough to have a box set called the lost treasures of infocom which still isn't all of their games uh for the amiga and there is a PC version as well. There's actually a, a app for the iPhone and iPad called The Lost Treasures of Infocom. Um, and they allow you to play uh, quite a number of the adventures. Um, you get Zork 1 for free with the free version of the app and then you pay for other ones. And the controls on the touchscreen are actually really good. I actually, that's one of the apps I have on my phone when I'm traveling. Um, and if I'm bored of other sort of games, I'll sit there and I'll see if I can um, get yep. a bit further in one of the games. Nice. So I suppose on that, like, what what are your favourite three 
Infracom games, Tony? Um, definitely the original Zork. Um, I haven't actually, I have played Zork 2, but I have never actually played Zork 3. Um, I really like um, Planetfall, which I already mentioned. Um, and I'd have to say Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, uh, look, I, can, I can definitely agree with that. And, and to be honest, I, I would tend to agree with you across the board there that Planetfall and Hitchhikers are two of my favourites, uh, with Zork just being that it's Zork, you know. It's the nostalgic favourite. Yes. There is a lot there, and um, but mind you, I I did like the graphic when they did Return to Zork. I, I did actually enjoy that as a one of the early CD-ROM click point and click titles. That yes, it, it was actually yeah, really trying cool. to trying to to get into onto the mist. That's it. Um, genre. Yeah. yeah. But, um, so, Damien. You're substantially quiet. What, what, what about yourself? Well, look, I am aware and have read about um, many, many um, Infocom games. Definitely know all there is to know about what Zork is about. Never played any Infocom games, um, surprisingly. Um <laughs> So back in the day, I um, I did try and play a few uh, like uh, text, like graphic text adventures on Commodore 64 stuff. Some um, level nine games, yep, um, yep. Red Red Moon, and a few others. I just can't even remember the names of them. And I was intrigued, and I really, really wanted to be good at them. But this is the days, obviously, before internet. Um, and I would just get stuck, and I would <laughs> would not be able to find a way out of, you know, where I got to a few screens into these games. Yeah. Um, and then by the time LucasArts Adventures uh, came out, like yeah. Maniac Mansion, uh, Zach McCracken, yeah. you know, I was never going to go back to um, text adventures. It was like. And that's, point and click for me. And that's and that's definitely sort of I think where the you know the evolution was obviously you know heavily came from, but that's yeah, you know, that that's what led to sort of that genre being not discarded but mm. definitely pushed to the side where the, the point and clicks become you know, the Sierra games and other stuff like that was where you, know, you start to see Infracom decline. But they definitely had that big run through the eighties where there was just some amazing releases. Uh, but yes. oh, so um what I might do quickly then we'll just touch on yeah, the list the listener question so we asked sort of the whole you know in, in pseudo Zork fashion of you know what, what people's favourite Infracom games were so not a great deal so I might quickly just run through so on Facebook single and solitary response which was from David Taylor which was a mind forever voyaging which is one I, I honestly have not I never played uh, but yeah so over on Twitter however so we had oh yeah sorry sorry oh, looking right, that right. one up on on the app sorry um, that looks very Blade Runner esque okay yeah. yeah another one I might have to go and have a look at because <laughs> you know I don't have enough things to play already right <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you left <laughs> but yeah no Steve, I mean it was one of the many from um, Steve Meritsky hope I pronounced that right um, that he was responsible for quite a few including yeah Planetfall Hitchhikers Leather Goddess of Phobos 
uh, station fall, so the follow on to planet fall, which I never really got much into. Um, yeah, but, I haven't yeah, played was, that one. But... Yeah, uh, he was definitely one of the big, big legends of the time uh, with that. So, um, but okay, quickly over on Twitter, so Graham W. Wopke is sort of say that he recently played Wishbringer again, and it was definitely one that he said you need the map to make notes, and also yeah, Mind Forever Voyaging was one of his favourites. Cam Davis, to Gazunta, who thanks for the comic by the way, Cam. Um, he said the copy of Mini Zork that came on a Zap cover tape because he was too cheap to ever buy a text adventure. <laughs> Ooh, Mini Zork on Commodore 64. Yep, there's another one to the list. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so Mr. Oz Retro Gamer, Alex Boz, said I'd love to list a few, but I was never a fan of their chosen genre. Not even Zork. Oh, Alex. Alex, Alex. But then again, you're not an adventure man, so. It's alright. Um, Alex Svetslov and Serbia, I have mangled your name, but whatevs. Um, he goes, I've never actually played Zork. Still want to badly, but holding out to get complete in box for Atari 8 bit or ST. Uh, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> so if anyone out there has some, some Infocom. Uh, games in box that they'd love to hit up weird and retro on twitter because i'm sure he would love to hear from you um, <laughs> so speaking of mr ant stiller so of all yeah he said i've always loved how the lovecraftian mythos was woven into the lurking horror and also great feelies and yep and lastly so bj windsor comes out with the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy which yeah, it's it really is that good it and, has all the humour. Yeah. Oh, it really does. But, um, the amount of times I think I got bulldozed before I even got out of the house. It's uh, <laughs> but um, but there, and like that, gentlemen, that that is that is a wrap. We are at the end. So um, any time any, flies when you're having fun. Oh, it does. Or talking about destroying or repairing things, rather, I should say. Um, so, yeah. but, uh, but quickly, so quickly, guys. Any 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 quick shout-outs or any quick um, plugs you want to? throw out there before we, we wrap this up once again uh, homebrew program myself so there are lots of homebrew games coming out for multiple systems out there uh, they are worth checking out um, from you know uh, a lot of effort goes into them and uh, support the homebrewers you need something new to play on the 64 I know the uh, the bare essentials dropped over Christmas that from pond software uh, if you haven't already taken a look, it's it's well worth to go and grab the free download. So, like you said, it's supporting you know, the, the people that are actually putting in the time and effort to make make new old games. Uh, so, yeah, definitely well worth having a look at. And it's probably a topic I'd like to cover off at some point in the future. Actually, is uh, you know some of the new, the new old stuff in a bit more detail. But um, yeah, that's a topic. Oh, and, and one one more. Sorry, uh, right. I've only just uh, thought of. Um, Hyper Sentinel from um, Houston Consultants. Ooh, They've launched a new Kickstarter just uh, I'd say the day before last or yesterday. Yep. Um, and it's already uh, most of the way towards successful. So it's actually ah, a nice. new game. Oh, nice. Yeah, this is their second attempt, I think, at getting it pushed. So hopefully yeah, they go well this time because it does look very pretty. Yeah, I don't think they got the word out there quite right the first time uh, or got the message across of what they were doing, and I think there's way more support in, in one day that already got to 50%. Nice. Oh, that's good. Oh, cool. All right. And there, yeah, we're a big fan of Houston. I know they've 
the guys have had a chat with them in the past on RD and other stuff. So, yeah, all right, cool. Definitely something one to check out. Uh, Damien, any any shout-outs or anything for yourself? Look, I'm going to be boring. I, I don't really have any shout-outs that are c- coming to mind. No, that's all right. So, look, for myself, I just want to say I mean, a quick hi to, the, obviously, the, the RD boys, Oz Retro Gamer and everyone else that's... Um, yeah, help support and keep some of the the word out there. Um, also, quick hi to, to Adam and Voda. So, mate, thanks for the thanks for support. There yeah, has been a busy couple of months, but oh well. As but look, as always, just to round this out, just reminder of you know where to find us. As always, we're on Facebook, Press Play on Tape Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at ppot underscore podcast. We can be found all our episodes on Podbean at pressplayontape.podbean.com. Uh, as, as well as that, we're, because we're part of the Console Domination Gaming Network, you can also go and f- have a listen out for our other the other shows, so Retro Domination, Console Domination, and also the guys from Plus, sorry, Geekdom United now, who I believe are also recording their first episode of the year really soon. Um, so like that, that's a wrap, and thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. See you next time, guys. Goodbye.